I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello and welcome to this special show brought to you with Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. It feels like one of those we have to introduce by saying it's we, we didn't want to have to speak to you in these circumstances. Yeah. It's been an emotional morning, hasn't it? We're recording late morning on Friday the 21st of May, the day that it's been announced that Pablo Hernandez and Gitano Berardi are leaving Leeds United at the end of the season. At least the club have, have been able to announce that before Sunday so they can be paid tribute to by the people who... Uh, who attend in Ellen Road. So let, let's speak about both players, then let's start with Gitano. And um, it was lovely, wasn't it, that he saw fit to put his open letter out to the fans via Oz because he wanted it to go through a fan channel. So thanks to Leeds United as well for respecting that because he's their player. They could have obviously put it on their website, but um, to allow us to do it was um, was really good. So thank you. I think the thing there is Berardi decided and that's the way things go. I don't <laughs> A bit like when um, when we got the signed shirt from the centenary game, he just did that. He does what he wants, I think, is, is, is the general way he lives his life. But he does it in a way, he does the right thing, but in a way that he wants. Um, and that's, that's the way he's going out, which is, which is only right, I think. One thing I took from the statement was that he's, he's a particularly thoughtful man. And we knew that anyway, because we knew about his like, um, photography habits. Like he'd drive up into the Yorkshire wilderness and go take some photos and, and stuff like that. So to um, to have something so considered about the impact the whole thing's had on his life um, is nice because, you know, the stereotype would have you believe that footballers are all thick and he's clearly not a stupid man, is he? He's chilled out in Yorkshire. I think we've had a, a good effect on him and he's had a good effect on us. And I think that's maybe why he was um, motivated to, to write something like this. I always remember when um, we interviewed him in 2017 and I asked him about some of the stuff we found from when he was at Sampdoria, um, when he, uh, when he first signed, some of the first, first things we found were, there was a, um, GoPro footage of him doing a bungee jump, I think. And then there was a video from, um, him in the dressing room at Sampdoria jumping headfirst into an ice bath. It's like a big, um, bin full of water. And he just jumped, dunking in that. And then there was a video on YouTube of like a behind the scenes documentary of him he just bought a GoPro and because he'd been dropped, he was sitting on the bench kind of filming stuff and having a laugh. And I, I said that would um, like, seem like quite a positive way of dealing with being out of the team is that you be creative and you make a film. And he's like, no, no, I, I shouldn't have done that. I think that was um, a, a bad reaction to being out of the team. And, and now I'm, I'm a 
a bit more mature, I look back on that and think that's not the way I would go about things. I was like, oh, okay. I think we got him um, in Leeds in those kind of late 20s years when he uh, he kind of grow out of the, the wild man um, and moved away from the person who will go on the pitch for their debut and attempt to <laughs> two-foot somebody in the neck and not really understand why that's a red card or a problem to now where... Um, Which it was neither of those things in my eyes. Well, it was. I mean, I remember the the early days of Brady because he got uh, he came back from that and then it was, um, I think his second or third game afterwards against Huddersfield, he got two yellow cards and was sent off again and it became a bit of a theme where whenever Brady was coming on as a substitute, everyone in the crowd would be like, what's he going to do? Something, something's going to happen. There's going to be blood. Um, and he moved a long way past that to the point where during the promotion season, just faultless. I think he's testament to the concept of just sticking around. There are so many points it felt like he could have left Leeds. Like, like you said, the Accrington debut. If he'd got sent off in that game and we'd never seen him again, people would have just been like, oh, well, that was a weird thing. A bit like he could have been Zan Benedicic or Dario Del Fabro or one of those other Brian Montenegro, the kind of Chilino landfill that we got and everyone would have forgotten about him. And then he got sent off again and it would have been a chance to leave. And then, you know, he, he could have gone with the 6-6 all played their hand and, and left then. He could have gone through the multiple managerial changes. He could have gone after the red card against Derby. Every one of these things, he just stuck it out and he improved after every one of them. And every time he came back, he seemed a little bit less mad and a little bit better. Like the Derby sending off was, it was a return to the old Berardi, but he'd actually been so calm and consistent prior to that, that season that everyone thought he was cured. And then there was that one little bit, which I still blame the referee for, really. If he'd just blown for a bloody foul on yeah. him, it would never have happened. We wouldn't have had to go through that. But in the fallout from that, there's a tendency to go, oh, well, we knew it. We always knew it. We knew that what it was like. When actually he'd been brilliant all season up to, up to that point, hadn't he? But the, the the tendency towards the red cards, actually, very reminiscent of, of Alan Smith. You always thought he's, he's, all, he's only ever this close, uh, or this far away, rather, from getting a red card or blowing up or doing something reckless when you could get away with it, far less so these days. Well, he is the, the record red cards holder still after the, the Millwall one at the start of the season was, um start of last season was overturned. And um yeah, he, I think it's one of the, the measures of him is the way that he has, he is our longest serving player arrived before Liam Cooper. Um And for him, there were two things about him arriving with that group under Chilino. One was that, he was always a little bit better than the others because he'd been at Sampdoria and he played in Syria, whereas most of the other lot, um, Bianchi and um, Antonucci and um, Dakara and Belushi were all Serie B. Um, so he always had that little bit more quality. He'd been around the Switzerland national squad. Um, and the mistake Cellino made was thinking that Serie B was the equivalent of Championship second tier of Italy will romp second tier of England, and it was never that way. So he had that little bit of extra quality, and then he also had, um, and this is down to his character that when he came and looked at Leeds, it wasn't just I'll just get paid and play football for a bit and went away. He describes it as late as it. Um, he came with a big dream of getting promoted, and he arrived at a club where the manager was fucking David Hockaday. <laughs> so that didn't work. But then in his um, Letter on our website says the dream grew year by year and it became an obsession, a crazy and dangerous obsession. <laughs> I love that line. Um, and that's it. He it became about 
I want to get Leeds United promoted. And we'll get, we'll talk about Pablo Hernandez in a minute and compare him to Gordon Strachan inevitably. But um, Berardi is not far away from the Strachan measure because Gordon Strachan always said that winning the first division mattered less to him than winning the second division with Leeds because he was brought to Leeds to win promotion. And it was the first time um, he'd been at a club normally. He signed for a football club and they say, come on, we'll play you on the right wing and we'll see what we can do. We, we'll try and win as many games as we can. Whereas when he came to Leeds, Howard Wilkinson and Bill Fotherby said to him, you're coming to Leeds and we have to get promoted into Division 1 and that is why we are signing you. That's why you're going to be captain. Your job, get this team promoted. And so once that happened, everything after that almost, it's not that it didn't matter, but it was kind of, the big one was always getting promotion. I think Berardi has managed to get himself into that same mindset of he was brought here in 2014 to get Leeds into the Premier League and he learned enough um, from speaking to the fans about what that meant, which other players have over the, the years as well. Here, Liam Cooper and even Pat Bamford were saying the other day, you know, the people who suffered while this club were outside the Premier League, this is all for them. And it became his mission, get Leeds into the Premier League. And that's why I think um, it's nice that he got the, the game against um, Southampton and hopefully will play against West Brom, the losers who are turning up on them Sunday. But it almost those are, those are kind of bonuses. The reward was promotion, done. And at that point, if he had gone, I think it would have been absolutely, he would have left quite happily and not worry about, does he get to play in the Premier League? I don't think that's really been his uh, his target. It wasn't, I want to be in the play in the Premier League and I want to be a, a Premier League footballer and rub shoulders with Harry Kane or whoever, it's I came here to get Leeds United promoted and if I leave having not done that then I will have failed and he hasn't failed, he's succeeded. Reminds me of Andy Hughes in that respect when he knew that's, that was the task at hand and, and succeeded in it. Um, let's talk about the Sig Note 6 as well. Really important to remember that that was the first moment where I guess he uh, I guess he put a flag in the ground and said this is what I stand for when he could have cried off that game but by the looks of it I mean I, I mean the, the actual full story itself has faded in the mists of time in my mind a lot's happened since then but um essentially he said no I'm not injured and he traveled uh sorry he was injured wasn't he but uh, he still traveled to make the point that I'm I'm not with these lot he says he wasn't injured when we spoke to him in 2017 the version he gave was that um he the story that has become popular is that he he was injured but traveled and he says no I wasn't injured um but he'd been dropped and he was annoyed. He was angry that he wasn't in the team. Um, and he said uh, he had a choice to make at that point. He could either um, be one of these players who was uh, reacting to not being in the team and being um, pissed off and calling off sick, or you be a good teammate and you travel and you just do your job. And he's like, that's it. my he, he said something job. along the lines of, I could have made a bad decision or yeah. something was the, way, was the way I think he phrased it. And it's worth remembering he was friends with all those players because they'd arrived at the same time. There was shared language with a lot of them. And to have to, to then go against that and be like, well, I understand. He was almost saying, I understand why you're doing it because he was also pissed off. But to think, but what does that, what does that actually yeah. mean? What will this boil down to at the end of where it? Where is my loyalty? Where does that yeah. lie? And it's and it's with the club. The club is an institution rather than the owner of the club, which is where those players sided. Whether they were under duress or not, and I know we've all got our opinions about the likes of uh, Belushkin stuff, but they made their choice, didn't they? And he spoke as well about the, the language barrier at the time, that um, there was one in the dressing room just because 
people couldn't speak each other's language. It was that simple. Um, and when we interviewed him a couple of years later, he was saying that, you know, the players who had stayed, so him essentially, but then um, Bluchki stayed on for a little while longer, didn't he? Um, and Dakara too. So there was a few of them stay around. It's like, it's a bit better now because some of us have learned English, some of the English players, I don't know how many of them have learned Italian particularly, but it's getting a little bit easier to, to communicate. But there was a big problem at that moment where in the dressing room, people just didn't understand each other. They'd had, you know, uh, Hockaday, Redfern, Milanic, Redfern. There was chaos everywhere. The whole, you know, the, if you if you think about that summer, it's hard to communicate. And I don't know who um, who is kind of a, a new fan since Leeds have gone into the Premier League. Maybe doesn't fully appreciate the 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 fine detail of seeing Sam Byram discussing on Twitter with Jason Pierce about where to buy socks because there is no longer training kit available. And that was a, a big thing that's like players saying, so don't worry about it, Sam, we'll get you some socks. Who's cooking the pasta and who's making the sandwiches? Yeah, and it, was it was all that stuff, wasn't it? Luke Murphy and Matt Smith about who's going to bring in uh, pasta and it was Lucy Ward doing all the cooking. That's one like thing. A blo- like a bloody school trip. And that's one thing for the uh, the players who um, were here and speak English and know the, the area, but to arrive from another part of Europe and just come to the club and it be that level of just, you know, where the fuck do you buy? If I move to Rome tomorrow, where the fuck do I buy socks? You know, you've got to try and find these things out. There wasn't a, a, a situation there to help anybody do any good at the football club. Um, and it made us hard. It made it hard to get to know any of the players like Dario Del Fabro and um, Benedici. You know, nothing about them. Like they came, they went, and there was really no time to learn their character or, or anything that they might have to say. And then, when we did start hearing from Sylvester and Beluski, it was fucking whinging. But we did get that, as you described, it's this little flag in the ground from Berardi where you suddenly realise, oh, he's he's got something beyond just being sent off all the time. There's there's something there worth um, keeping. I think the single intent as well to do the right thing by the fans is probably indicated in the way he chose to live his life in Leeds as well, insofar as he did settle here and he, he did almost decide from the start, no, I am, I'm here to live I'm not, and, to, and to have a life here. I'm not just here to play football until the lunatic chairman decides to move me on. Like he, when we spoke to him, his wife was working in a restaurant in Leeds, cause she just, not because she needed the money, because he's a footballer and he has loads, just because she wanted to be meeting people and learning, learning English and just having her own stuff to do, which was, it just, it just indicated to me that he, he wanted to have interests and a life outside of, being a footballer and you see you see that he goes along to like Skylights gigs and just he, he made friends with Anthony Crudson who writes for Square Ball and he just became integrated in into Leeds in a way that I think none of those other players really did none of them seemed to throw themselves into it and I think what struck me most of all and why this um this open letter has resonated uh, a great deal is the humility and we should probably say I don't think he'd mind us saying but he left us a letter didn't he a few weeks ago did Berardi the, the contents of which we'll we'll keep to ourselves but you know you can understand the general thrust of it because you've seen it replicated in, in the open letter as well but one of the things he said was when we interviewed him in 2017 he couldn't believe it could he? he just didn't understand why we would want to speak to him but then why wouldn't we? Yeah and you can see um, some public manifestations of that on um, Twitter this morning some of our writers who've done articles about him will generally get uh, a message from Berardi, either email or a DM, or he, he um, passes something on through us to say, "Oh, thank you for, for writing that. I liked what you said about me." Um, 
which it's probably a relief that um, we never had that relationship with Michael Brown, for example. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he he's appreciated being appreciated, which is um, nice. And yeah, he's a good bloke, really, isn't he? And he's he's also a very good footballer. Like the 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 way he has played, particularly since Bielsa came in, has been spotless. Like he has just become a great defender, centre back as well. Who would have picked him? You know, from when he first turned up as Sam Byram's understudy, to then think. Um, and uh, Bielsa's been talking about him this morning. How after not playing for um, it's nearly a year now, um, he just comes on in the second half at Southampton when. Bielsa was saying, you know, we were struggling a bit with their strikers. Not a problem. Just goes back on the pitch. And um, I think I said it on the, the match ball, one of the podcasts. He would not have had a problem playing in the Premier League this year. And I think you put him in any team, you put him in a, um, put him in the Swiss international squad, absolutely fine. Put him in Brazil 1970. It would just be, <laughs> he would just, you know, he'd just do his job and he would just do what was expected. And it might not be to the, uh, flamboyant extent that some of the other players around him might have, and it might involve um, fuck ups because I think one of the things about him is there's always been that striving. We've always asked more of him, and that's where the the kind of the fuck ups happen. Like the Derby playoff one, it wasn't him, you know, punching somebody's lights out in a, an act of petulance. He's fighting for the ball in the middle of the pitch, playing at the the top end of his ability with all his commitment to try and get the team into the Premier League. And that is when um, mistakes happen. If you're, um, you know, some Premier League footballer on £100,000 a week with a very nice life who doesn't really have anything to strive for, you're not going to get yellow cards. You're not going to get red cards. I can't remember which team it was. It was some team in the Premier League this year who had an astonishingly low number of uh, bookings. And you think, why aren't you... Why aren't any of you doing any fouling? Why, why, why is there nothing happening in your team? Where is that neck-high two-footed challenge that we've come to know? I mean, to be fair, the Leeds, we haven't had a player sent off for ages either. But um, Liam y- Cooper, really quite recently. There you go. <laughs> but, um, Accurate as ever. But there is, yeah, there's, that, there's players who find playing football very easy and therefore nothing bad ever happens to them. And I think Catano Brady has had to go the hard way to get to where he's got to and along the way um, he's been knocked back and knocked back even to the extent when it was um, one of the the video clips I can't remember which red card it was um, it might have been the Derby one I'm not sure but he did the interview with Tom Kerwin the one where he says look there's this fire inside me to play football and if I if I don't feel that then I might as well just go home to Italy and I'll just stop playing football and I'll I'll get a job but we, we took him to the point where he's having to do apology videos <laughs> And um, just for getting sent off, which, you know, it, it happens. I mean, Billy Bremner got sent off in a, a charity shield um, fighting with Kevin Keegan for no particular reason. and was banned for 11 matches and dragged, you know, in one sense, he dragged the club's name through the dirt because it was all over the papers. And it's a massive scandal, massive controversy. It's a thing that happens to players when they're trying their absolute best. And... Um, and it's it happened to Berardi seven times. <laughs> Although maybe the um, trying your absolute best against Accrington was maybe we'll put that one to one side. Slight exception, yeah. Well, I, I guess to wrap up on Berardi, the ultimate 
symbol of his commitment and his attitude was seeing him playing beyond the end of his contract to make sure that he got the job done, got us promoted. He paid the ultimate price for it um, and still did it all with a smile on his face and, and a crutch in the air. So he leaves with our absolute best wishes and hopefully we'll be able to keep in touch with him and he'll send us some nice photographs of Italy. The picture on the official website today is him on the pitch, a man who's essentially out of contract and unemployed with a crutch in the air. His employment entirely contingent upon his legs working and he doesn't look like he gives a fuck. He's just <laughs> delighted to have done what he's done. That was one of the other nice moments at the, um, the celebration when everyone was piling in. The, the camera finds him in the background leaning on his crutch and he could almost, um, if he had like a, a glass of brandy in his other hand, you could not see more satisfaction in anybody's face. The, the, the satisfaction, um, I remember, is click with his cigar and there's also Brady just leaning on his crutch just like, did all this. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pablo Hernandez. I mean, what more can you say about that man who he had a strange journey in a way as Pablo, hasn't he? To have gone off to, to Qatar to earn money for his family. And I think as we understand it, he went off there without his family then uh, Mar and, and the kids or whatever were back in Spain and he was off there just you know earning some corn uh, to pay for them it, it felt like a move that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate from a footballer who still had a lot of uh, running in his legs so he kind of just slipped in under the radar a little bit didn't he you kind of went oh that's a name I've heard of when he came in under under Gary Monk um, but he's turned out to be just the, this totem this symbol for the promotion and he's given me one of the the greatest moments of my entire life you know family aside when it comes to football nobody's ever going to forget that run of form uh, when they were managing his fitness in the promotion running but the Swansea goal 
I think it goes beyond Swansea as well. It, it, that was the culmination of him trying his absolute fucking best to get us promoted for two solid seasons. It was. It's almost like it's more like the plotline of a film is this that like the hero has to die at the end of it because he's given absolutely everything he can. He's saved the village. He's done his job, but I'm afraid ET has to go home. <laughs> it's like he what he did for us in promotion was it was it was unreal. The way you were waiting for him to come on and just fix it. Yeah, I mean, in a team now that's got the likes of let's say you know Rafinha and no doubt we'll be adding to the the um, the quality and quantity of creative players. But there were times when it felt like Pablo Hernandez creatively speaking, was dragging the club up by its bootstraps and get, getting us promoted. We need that flash of inspiration. We need that threaded through ball. We need that pass that nobody else is going to see just to get us over the line to unlock this defence. He'd almost had this, the getting us promoted moment the year before as well when he'd he'd scored that goal against Millwall. And it, with the way results were going that day, it felt like that was going to be a pivotal goal that we'd look back on in years to come and go well that was do you remember when Sheffield United went behind and then Pablo scored that goal a minute later and and then from that point on it was plain sailing and we got promoted and that was really the thing that turned it turned out not to be the case instead we had him crying on the pitch at Brentford because you thought well maybe that's maybe he's given all he can but then he came back and he scored a really a really great goal on the opening day of the next season you were like Let's go one more time, Pablo. Come on. You've got this in you. We know you have. The way we set about that Bristol City game, and I remember we watched it together, didn't we, in the in the Brudenell. Uh, the way we set about them that day, I think deep down, I knew it was going to end up with us getting promoted, but was terrified for an entire season about it not happening. I was going to say, we were 3-0 up and you went and you had to leave the room because Bristol had a free kick and it's the first game of the season. But it's, it, it's, it's exactly the same as we were against Stoke. Um, on the season opener from the season before we were brilliant and I could see like you know objectively this is brilliant football this is a different language that we're speaking now under Bielsa and we're amazing but there's a decade and a half of stuff that's gone on before this that terrifies me and I I guess that was it it was those two emotions playing out but if I am being honest about it objectively I would say you could see that day that we just we just had a swagger about us and and for him to score that goal it just like we're we're setting about this league this year. It was a relief, wasn't it, when that went in? Because I think after everything that had happened the season before, it's one of those that can you do it again? Yeah. Is the squad going to be flat? Will they have lost faith in it? Clearly, not a, not a shred of it in that. And it was Pablo leading it again. Yeah, and the um the goal at Swansea has a um a beautiful relationship with the Gordon Strachan goal against Leicester in nineteen ninety. Have you ever seen a better goal? Have you ever seen one better time? And Bryn Law takes his place alongside John Helm on the commentary duties but neither of them were the goal that absolutely meant we got promoted because Gordon Strachan we still had to go to Bournemouth and have Lee Chapman score the goal but no one ever talks about the the Lee Chapman one as much as the Strachan one Um, maybe because it was at home and everyone saw it and maybe the Pablo ones because we had to be at home home watching it on on TV so everybody um, experienced it that way and then it was Emil Smith-Rowe who's actually the, the the hero of Huddersfield who um, finally clinched our our promotion but um, yeah the two best players scoring the real big goals and that's where um, Pablo Hernandez's advantage over Berardi is that the resources he was always able to call on were ability and quality and just um, uh, footballing talent that makes you wonder what the fuck he was doing going to the Middle East in his mid to late 20s and, and truthfully what the fuck was he doing signing for us at that point <laughs> yeah. because we were also quite a shambles something it's interesting Swansea fans have a uh, they don't really 
rate him. I don't think Swansea ever worked for him um, after leaving Valencia. And it seemed to sort of, he, he ended up on a bit of a Premier League scrap heap, which is just, it is weird how that um, happened to him. And it's, um, yeah, it's you know the best part of uh, Gary Monk coming to Leeds is that him and Pep Clotet could, could call him up and, and bring him back. Mainly Pep Clotet. Yes, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll give him most of the credit, but um, yeah, it's it is strange to think of of what how different his uh, um, life could have been if he'd not answered the call from Leeds, or if Leeds had not called him up, how it would have uh, ended up. It would feel like a a waste of talent, but that's what he always um, had to offer for us. And some of the statistics, as we 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 saw them, where since he'd signed for us in the Championship, no Championship player had made more assists, no player had been involved in more goals. The Statistically, it was all just um, mind-numbingly brilliant. And then watching him, um, yeah, there was nobody. Saiz was exciting and, you know, he flashed and he could do things that probably even Pablo Hernandez would look at and go like, wow, that's really good. But ultimately, just his mind wasn't on getting leads promoted, whereas um, I think Pablo a little bit like Berardi as well, got into that um, feeling of this is what we we have to do. And to see his tears in the documentary on the East End balcony when all the players were celebrating, you know, there's the footage of them all calling loved ones and celebrating in the moment. That that was quite moving as well. Of all the players to, to cry, it looked like he'd kind of taken himself off just to a little corner, just to have a quiet cry on his own um, and to ring his wife and and just say, you know, we've, we've done it. Um, and that's, you know, looking back at the other elements of the story arc, the tears on the pitch at Brentford and, and you know, it's, it's been a, sto- it's been a story of tears, a lot of tears. I mean, the know- tears on the pitch at Brentford were so severe that it was the first time Marcelo Bielsa sort of actually softened and was like, I, I'll, I'll just have to hug him. <laughs> Until then, apart from the um, Bamford training goal, it was really noticeable how cold, if you want to put it that way, Bielsa was to, towards players. Kemar Reef started that season when he got substituted, he would go and attempt a fist bump with Bielsa. <laughs> and um, it, it quickly became no, apparent no. <laughs> that that wasn't uh, going to continue. And that was, um, and he, Bielsa spoke about that at some point. He says, yeah, I don't want my players to, to know me too well because they might think less of me if they find out what I'm really like. And I don't want to know them too well because I don't feel like I need to be involved in their lives because, you know, we're, we're working together and that's the best way to, Work, but then when you've got um, uh, Pablo just sobbing his eyes out in the middle of West London, um, it was noticeable that Bielsa had to do something about that. That he he, he had to just go and it, this will be awkward, but I am I am going to touch you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking about the documentary, actually, um, Phil Hay and I went up to Thorpe Arch to do some promo. You remember we interviewed um, Pablo for the Phil Hay show. And then he never played again. No, more or which, less. Is, which is, which is well, we'll come on to that and the, the sort of sadness of that particular part of it. But um, it's, you know, in my former life doing radio or whatever, was lucky enough to meet genuinely famous people and interview them and never been particularly fussed by it because they're all just human beings. And I'm sure, you know, you've done a few um, high profile interviews as well. Um, but the reason I was going to mention you in this context, Moscow, is because a lot of yours have been with Leeds United players or former managers, like I'm thinking Wilkinson era stuff when you did uh, Do You Want to Win? And it's only when I went, went to Met Pablo that I felt I felt a little bit, and this is a word that we picked up on the podcast recently, cowed. I was a little bit like, kind of, ooh, 
this is somebody I genuinely have feelings of, of adoration for. Even though Pablo Hernandez is a human being, he has his problems. He's got, you know, he's got a wife and kids. He's he's got all the day to day worries that everybody else um, has, regardless of wealth or position. And yet, I was kind of just quietly in awe of him, and he exudes something because he's quiet, because he's softly spoken, but he's got that magic because uh, that's his nickname, El Mago. Do you find that like when you spoke to some of the older? Um, Leeds players like the likes of Batty, for example, there's like this this uh, mystique, this mysticism about them. I mean, Batty does his best to <laughs> to uh, puncture that when he's just just an incredibly normal bloke. But yes, and what um, Pablo sort of represents in that uh, in that idea is that we've got to the point where we feel like that about the players because in the the darker days, I don't think there was ever that mystique about Luke Varney <laughs> because you would look at somebody like Luke Varney you'd cross the road to avoid Luke Varney wouldn't you, you would you really just didn't want to have anything to do with him and I, I remember there was um, um, Michael Brown was it you might have been there for this it was one of the, the kind of Lorimer's Bar events where the, the players um, were interviewed by the fans in like a, an event at the ground and he ended up having a fucking argument with... I was going to say what could possibly go wrong there. Yeah, he ended up, um, I think, calling... Some fans had a go at him, saying he wasn't good enough. And I'm sure Michael Brown ended up calling them a bunch of twats. <laughs> and it was just, that was... And, but it was... I didn't care. I never I never cared if, you know, Michael Brown or Luke Varney read the square ball and thought we were twats because we were saying they were shit because they fucking were. And... They didn't do anything good and there was no mystique. There was nothing about them to to make you think I couldn't do better. And that was it. Obviously, I can't. I mean, there's uh, somebody, I can't remember who, but there's, there is no such thing as a bad professional footballer. They are all good. They're all, you know, you, if you tried to play against them five aside, you would be blown away by the fact, by the things that Luke Varney could do. But you'd watch them and you'd think, That's fucking, I, I could do better than that. Anybody could do better than this. Whereas... Pablo Hernandez, the the mystique, the aura, what it is about him is the things he can do with a football. Because that it, just... it's because it's an un- unknowable. That's what it's to yeah. us, us mere mortals. We look at what he does and you go, how has he seen that pass, or how does he know to make that run or pick out that man rather than that one? And that's what blows you away. Those are the moments, the moments of beauty that Bielsa speaks about when you kind of you just sit there in the stand and you go, oh my god, what have I just seen? I have a gif saved of. Um... Luke Varney receiving a pass from Cameron, Cameron Stewart in front of the East Stand. And as the ball rolls towards him, um, he he seems to knock his ankles together and he falls over and the ball just goes past him. It looks like someone has snuck on and tied his laces together, is it's the way it exactly. appears. And I could do that. <laughs> Whereas the, you know, Stoke in particular, those um, passes that uh, Pablo Hernandez played, it, it was the one for Jackie Harrison, wasn't it, where he, he, it's over his shoulder and look, Fucking absolutely no way I can even imagine how I would get my feet from where they are now or my brain from where it is now to the point where I could even dream of doing anything close to that. Which goal was it where he, I think it was it Stoke maybe in the promotion season where he was in the, um, in the northwest corner at the edge of the area and then he tracked his way all the way across the area and picked it up and scored. What, yeah. Which goal was that? I can't remember which game, which goal, but yeah, I remember... Because um, ring the bell if you like. I was obviously Gantrywood at that that time, and um, he was in line with us. And I remember he was right in front of where I 
I was looking down on the pitch. I just watched him just stroll over to the uh, the opposite part of the uh, the penalty area, and nobody watched him watched him go. And to finish that thought, that's what you want from footballers: is you want them to be so much better than you that you can't even conceive that when you do meet them, you feel that little flutter, that little that, like your heart racing a little bit. Like, wow, and it is stupid for you know. Um, I mean, I'm older than both Pablo Hernandez and, and Gatano Berardi. No but, one's older than Pablo Hernandez. But meeting either of them, you do, you feel like you're, you're looking up like there's somebody senior than you or <laughs> like so much. You have to look up to them just because of the way that they can kick a bag of wind. Um, <laughs> Stupid, but, isn't it? But, but it's brilliant. It's the whole reason we, we want to be football fans is that we want to see players do things like that and we want to feel that way about them. And um, and both of those players, I mean, Berardi is the longest serving, um, but Pablo has been here a long time as well. And they've both been a big part in the way that Leeds United has changed from a team where you um, you looked at the players and you saw, can't be, do I really want to go in that state? And that was it. it used do I want to, be, to put myself through this? Yeah. Um, watching, I can't think of any. You think it was Varney? I am. Yeah, yeah. I, excuse all <laughs> others. Watching Danny Pugh <laughs> booting a ball over his own head. Um, uh, well, I was going to say the, um, the one great symbol of Pablo's time is the way that they used him almost as special teams, like in American football, you know, like towards the end of the promotion campaign, just because there's such a, a high number of games in a short space of time that they used him sparingly or half a game here, half a game there, because the subs allowed for it just to preserve his legs because they knew that there was magic in those legs. He did enough, didn't he? That was the thing. We could get by for a half without him. He'd come on, do what needed to be done, and then quite often be taken off again. And it was just like... <laughs> Off, he goes. I honestly imagine he went off the pitch, just straight into some sort of ice bath, cotton wool, something. Yeah. He was put in something and just like, just don't move until we next need you. Just stay, <laughs> stay fit. Keep clear of the virus. Keep clear of injuries. Don't. I don't want you stretching for a high shelf in the kitchen. We just need you for for the next match. I think it's nice actually with the what what he did in that period that we do have every single minute of it on tape because I think with, when you talk about Strachan and his role in promotion. It's basically the Leicester goal that you see, and then a lot of it is just talk. It's just what people said he did because there's not 90 minutes of every game recorded. Whereas with Pablo, in 30 years, when someone decides to do the match ball for the promotion season on a podcast or whatever exists in 30 years' time, they'll be able to go back and watch every minute of Pablo and analyse every pass and and conclude that, yes, he was fucking great. They don't do murals of anyone, do they? That's a line that I've uh, used on this podcast before, and it's so true where, where Pablo is concerned. Uh, it's been a shame to see him as a peripheral character this season, but it is also uh, a reminder of the progressive nature of football that Leeds United as an entity is growing. And I think I may have said earlier in the season that it feels now almost like Leeds United has kind of grown round Pablo Hernandez to the extent that he's not carrying the full club on his shoulders, which, to be perfectly honest, he probably never should have been. Um, you know, you've got to give a, a, a broader supporting cast, I guess, if you're going to achieve things. And that's very much the direction we've been we've been travelling in now. But what a guy! And I think as well, ho- hopefully, he gets his moment on Sunday. I think as the senior player in that promotion squad, he has passed what he's passed on to the the people who are just slightly younger than him. People like Stuart Dallas, Luke Ayling over those years. It must be a massive part of of why they are where they are now. I think but having someone like Pablo around, he's so, a fucking Jedi, isn't he? Well, he is. He basically is. So to, to have worked with him, he's surely going to have had a massive benefit. Could Stuart Dallas be as good now playing in central midfield if he hadn't 
had Pablo Hernandez to watch and to learn from and to play alongside. So he's, I think his influence will will live on for for a good while yet. Yeah, not to belabor the Strachan comparisons, but um, Strachan always, um, when he came, he realised he couldn't do anything with David Batty, but he made sure Gary Speed got changed next to him in the before matches. And, um, <laughs> he couldn't do anything with David Batty. Yeah, he's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, fine. Leave him to it. Yeah, he told me a great story. I think it's in Do You Want to Win? But uh, the first team meeting, Batty had his, um, when Strachan turned up, Batty had his feet up on a, a table um, in the hotel. And um, he looked at Gordon Strachan and said, don't even think about telling me to take my feet <laughs> off this table. <laughs> and so I was like, right, fine. That's, that's you. <laughs> And that's where Wilkinson's kind of attitude. Then he brought Vinnie Jones in because he then took Batty under his wing because he knew he would listen to him. Whereas Strachan, uh, Batty just looked at Strachan as some old, some little old man <laughs> ordering me about, same as Wilkinson. But he uh, he took Gary Speed under his wing and um, realised he was a very different character. And um, and Speed, you know, he played until he was. Did he play until he was four? He was close enough, but at Sheffield United when he was. Um, uh, I can't remember if he was player manager, he was player assistant manager, certainly. And he always put that down to the, the habits that Gordon Strachan taught him. Bananas um, mainly. Yeah, bananas and seaweed pills and naps, uh, sleeping in the afternoon. All the stuff. Oh, massive fan of that. All the stuff that Strachan was just ahead of his time so that he could play until he was 37. Um, he instilled that in speed so that he had all the, the same benefits of it. And it's been a bit, um, yeah, Pablo Hernandez in the Premier League has been, there's, it always gets sort of presented as like the club could have used him more. I think it's more that time has just overtaken him. When you when you have seen him play this season, it's not been the same. And again, Strachan says there was a game in uh, for Leeds against Liverpool in 1995 when he, he realised that the other players around him had, had started bypassing him a bit. They were like, you can't do it. We'll, we'll, and that was when it, it clicked with him. He's like, oh, I actually, I feel all right, but I'm not fit enough to, to play at this level anymore. And I think um, the, the twin frustration for Hernandez will be um, not being picked by the manager and then also not being able to do the things that he wants to do. And he's had all those little injuries. Like at the moment, uh, Bielsa is talking about we're trying to, we're monitoring his fitness, we're trying to get him in condition to play. And I think that might be with a, um, the reason he won't have played against Southampton when Berardi came on is because they think, well, you know, if you if he snaps his hamstring in Southampton, it's not going to be any good for Ellen Road on Sunday. So he's had all that to deal with, and it's um, uh, that's. But there's nothing you can you can do against time, no. and that's that's kind of the the battle he's had this season. I think maybe some of the frustration when he was um, angry about being subbed at the start of the season. It's there's a lot more to it than just that bastard on the bucket has taken yeah. me off. And you know, a lot of things in football end badly or in an underwhelming fashion you know Howard Wilkinson was essentially booed off the, the pitch uh, well around the running track anyway at Wembley but looking back we don't remember that about him we remember the league title triumph and the promotion and the same goes for Pablo in five years time in ten years time nobody's going to think one moment about an underpar season now everyone is going to think of him like the mural which is in his uh, in his sports bra uh, with his, his, his favourite pub, with his shirt, with his, his with, with his shirt off, scoring that goal at Swansea, and that is what football is about. It's about moments, and it brings us back to where we started with this, which is that he provided one of the greatest moments of my entire adult life, 
Um, and it was just a bag of wind that he kicked into a net in Wales. And Sunday, low-key as it will be necessarily, um, is something more than we've had with other players. I can't, I'm sure Strachan just went halfway through a season. David Batty um, was in a fight with Blackburn one week on a substitute appearance after six weeks out injured. The next week he'd gone to sign for them. Um, McAllister and Speed were both sold summer of 1996 without anybody knowing that they would be going. Um, so there was not, there was never that occasion to, yeah. to Tony say, Yeboa shirt falling out. I guess, I yeah. guess Beckford was probably the last one who had an actual send off because we, he scored that goal and then we knew that was it, didn't we? And then he came back with Leicester and we, uh, <laughs> we gave him another one and then he came back again and we gave him another one to Preston and we gave him another one. Um, and I mean, when McAllister came back, he got booed because um, everyone thought he'd gone to Coventry for the money, which to an extent he had, but he also got sick of um, the takeover shenanigans at Leeds. But um, you don't always get those tidy, nice um, send off. Thank you very much. Cheer everybody on finishes. Um, Rod Wallace, you know, just played on for five years after winning the title and then went on a free transfer to Rangers. There was no, nothing. There was never a, a big thank you, never a big um, moment. So we're actually quite lucky mm. that on uh, Friday we say, right, these two players, this is, they're off Sunday. Make sure if you're there, you can um, show them your appreciation. Yeah. Um, if you're not there, you're not missing out on anything that we haven't had um, previously. And it would be nice. I mean, testimonials have kind of gone out of fashion. And I know um, obviously the Pandini makes it all, uh, much more complicated than it was, but you're saying we're going to Castle, aren't you? Well, well, look, well look, why got, not? Well, if you are a long time listener to the podcast, you'll be aware that we did the booze baton, which was just a bit of fun around the promotion. We said at the start of the season, uh, the promotion party will pass from city to city, hand to hand, depending on who beats who. It actually sp- uh, split off for complicated reasons uh, related to Liverpool being in Europe. So we ended up with the European one in Munich and the domestic one in Southampton. So. We'll have to go do the Southampton one at some point where we just go and have a party, we'll do a podcast, whatever it might be, go and maybe see some football. Let's move the Munich one to Castellon. I think I mean, maybe it's maybe the Munich connection is is in some way correct here because the club organised that game against Bayern Munich that couldn't happen because of the pandemic. Just sack that off. Fuck those lot. Honestly. I mean it's gonna be a hard sell with my wife, but should we just do both? Well, yeah. But, but fuck Bayern Munich off. I, 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 do get, re- I do really like Munich. We'll play get, uh, 1860. Get yeah, well, exactly. Get Pablo back, though. Get the get all the promotion team back together. Have them play against some other, someone else. Ben some... White can have a holiday in Spain with his mate Calvin. Exactly. But get those get get all that lot back at Ellen Road when it's full. There's, there'd be a huge appetite for it, I think, to, to, see, to see that team off. It used to be that testimonials were 10 years service. And because wages were no more... Uh, not considerably higher than they were for um, anybody else doing any kind of job and you only had a a short career. And there weren't a hundred televised games a week to work on either as a pundit. Yeah, so it was to to put a player, a cheque in the player's pocket and send them out the door. Um, Gary Kelly was probably one of the first to change that when his um, his testimonial was to raise money for his sister's cancer charity and um, Lucas Radaby also did one for um, charity as well. So instead of regarding them as testimonials for long service, institute charity matches. I mean, all the pre-season friendlies and tours that are all done for um, financial gain and whatever the fuck we went to Myanmar for, charity matches to pay tribute to a player who um, you liked or players that you liked 
that raise some money for a good cause and get the players fit ahead of the new season. Everything works together. Why don't we um, we do that? And, and you can at- have and you can build guest teams. It always used to be um, the the players whose testimonial it was would kind of hand pick an opposition team. It would always be. Um, uh, Cess Pods select eleven, and he would pick eleven players to play against um, his team. I don't know why he came to mind. It was Bradford versus Cess Pods All Stars, <laughs> um, and they and they would all turn up. So you could have like, oh Ben White, I want you to come and just play at this game and and do it all that way. Bring them all, but bring Pontus Janssen back. He won't be, uh, he won't have a game with Brentford. <laughs> so and we will still go to Castellon because part of the reason we want Leeds to get into Europe is essentially just to go to a European city and have a bit of a, a piss up and watch a game of football. And we can do that without Leeds United. As long as they have a public square filled with garden furniture, <laughs> nothing can possibly go wrong. Let's bring it back to where we started then, which is just to say thank you to Gitano Berardi and Pablo Hernandez for your time at Leeds United. Both legends in their own rights, part of a, of a legendary squad, and we say thank you for, for feeding our crazy and dangerous obsession. We appreciate it. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 